Welcome to Work Everywhere, a podcast brought to you by Allware, the company that equips teams with everything they need to work from anywhere. I'm your host, Ben Kessler, Chief Growth Officer, and my co-host today is Veronica Kellerman, Content Marketing Lead. In this episode, we're joined by my friend Dave Fano, who throughout his incredible career has held positions as an architect, professor at Columbia, and co-founder of building information technology company K-Sync, which was acquired by WeWork, where he became the chief growth officer. Today, Dave is the CEO of Teal, a tool that helps job seekers invest in themselves and drive their careers with confidence and purpose. In an industry that tends to prioritize employers over employees, Dave believes that putting control back in the hands of the individual can only have positive effects for companies and team members alike. In today's conversation, we chat about how to get tactical about job seeking, the value of finding your niche, how to effectively use AI in the recruiting process, and why the days of passively managing your career are over. Thanks for coming on, Dave. Excited to have you on the pod. We've known each other. I can't even figure out how long we've known. Well, we've we've known each other since like the early WeWork Lab days, even right. So that's like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like ten years. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a long yeah. time that we've known each other, which is amazing. Love to see it, and then had the chance of working closely together at WeWork, which is just an insane trajectory in general. That we we both ended up there through different means, you had your company acquired by WeWork, and I just somehow got convinced by people to join WeWork. <laughs> and I remember like my announcement when I had joined WeWork, I because rem- I had worked for all these sort of B2B and B2C tech companies before. And to me, like WeWork in the early days, as much as I saw the vision, it was still like I was joining a co-working space. You know what I mean? Like everyone in New York knew it as a co-working space. So I remember when I like announced that I kind of had to like explain <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not just like joining the co-working space. I'm, this is a real thing. <laughs> like we're going to be this big company. And it's funny to think back now that I had to explain to people what that thing was. <laughs> and now I have to talk about like, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> I worked at WeWork. It was awesome. <laughs> but anyway, I'd love for you to kind of to introduce yourself, kind of what you're doing today and maybe talk to us a little bit. Lo- would love to hear kind of your career journey and trajectory, because I think it's a really interesting one, especially where where it's gotten you today. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Thanks for the invite. Glad to be on the podcast. Yeah, I've had a quite windy career, but the kind of recurring theme is anytime I really didn't like what I was doing, I would quit to move a little closer to something I really enjoyed doing. Uh, which is kind of what's really getting me to today, which I'm super pumped about what I do. But I studied architecture because I like drawing comic books and that wasn't like a real career for my dad. So I went and studied (laughs) architecture because he was a builder and it was kind of like in between, which then like I didn't really like that, but I inched myself one step closer. I ended up going to Columbia. They had a very cool digital architecture program. Fun fact, Joe Kaczynski, who just recently directed Top Gun, was the main reason I wanted to go there because he taught the 3D modeling course. And I thought maybe I'd make like movie sets in 3D. But then I ended up getting a job in architecture and really didn't like that. Ended up starting a tech consultancy that really focused on 3D and 3D for the built environment, sort of like one step closer. Within there, we ended up building a software development arm. We landed a client in WeWork to build out software for them to really streamline the rollout of buildings. Uh, And that was my project and I led that and it was a lot of fun. And then ultimately WeWork acquired us to bring that technology in-house and our whole team. 
Uh, and then finally, at, at the end of my time with WeWork, I was like, look, I never really liked the building industry. I really like helping people. I like teaching people and I like technology. And uh, I said, I want to do my own thing again. And that led me to what I'm doing today, which is building Teal. Been at it for three years and Teal is consumer first software to help people grow their career with a specific focus at the moment on helping them run an awesome job search. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more kind of concretely about how you were led to Teal, what you guys are up to now um, and how it's all going? Yeah. So the career is big, right? And it, it works in cycles and there's a lot of aspects of the career. And our goal has always been to be with people from the day they start working to the day they retire, right? Companies have HR departments, they have finance departments, they have all these things to help manage the workforce. But the consumer at the end of the day has like Google and maybe a relative that was an executive. And when I was leaving WeWork, you know, I was really acutely felt that. I was like, well, I, I can afford to hire an employment lawyer to read my agreements. WeWork was great to me. It wasn't like contentious at all. But I, you know, I came in through acquisition. I had like 30, 40 page employment agreements. I was like, I'm not going to read this. <laughs> and I was just like, this is crazy that I'm having to pay the amount of money that I am to have someone help me navigate this. And this was before like OpenAI and GPT. And I was like, there's just got to be technology that can work on behalf of the consumer to help them know what they don't know. Because a lot of people just sort of sign these things blindly. And so for me, like that was the moment. I was like, there is infrastructural disparity between the employee and the enterprise. And no one has been like fiscally motivated to help the consumer. Everything in the HR space or in the career space ends up being B2B or monetizes the business side of the marketplace because the consumers become the product, mainly job boards. And that's, that's not in any way a critique of them. It makes sense because everyone's been sort of inculcated into thinking that you abdicate your career to HR. Because that comes from like the days of pension and companies, you know, looking after your career for 40 years. But I don't think that as a whole, I mean, I think maybe great resignation, quiet quitting. We're starting to wake up to the fact that that is not the case and the world has changed and job tenure is around every three years. So we said this is the right time for us. Like, you know, the consumer needs what I called like the Iron Man suit for your career in your pocket. Uh, and every consumer needs it. And luckily, I pitched a mutual friend of ours, Ben, Jesse Middleton, and he, he got it immediately. And, and he's backed us to do this. Now, the thing is, the career is really about like a series of like paper cuts and pain. And so he said, where is like their acute pain where people stop and think about their career? Most of the time, it's like reactive. It's like, oh, I didn't get my raise. Okay, now let me think about how to do it. Oh, I have an interview. Let me think about how to interview. But the, the moment where it kind of like clumped up enough was in the job search, right? That's when everyone goes and like searches their Gmail for that editable version of their resume that they wrote three years ago because they're not updating it along the way as they should because no one kind of does the TLC for their career. So we said, let's focus on that. That's the moment, that's the wedge. That's when we can onboard people into thinking about their career a little bit more programmatically, systematically. And so that's been our focus is really building tooling for people to run an awesome job search. Uh, it's got AI, it's got notifications, it's got guidance. And then as we get better and better at that, we'll then sort of transition into adding on things like first 90 days, seeking promotion, all those other things. And then three years later, job searching again. We've been thinking about this a lot recently, I think. Do you know who Dan from HR is? He's kind of like a big We're mutual. HR. In I think that's what you call it on TikTok. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, th then, you know, he's he's wonderful. He has great content and he was actually a previous guest of ours on the podcast. And one thing that we were talking about with him is that the reason why his content is so appealing to people is that we haven't had content like that for the consumer 
When you think about how HR helps you in the workplace, they don't help you with finding your next job. They don't help you with negotiating your salary. They don't help you with your resume. They only help you with the things that kind of like concern them or that would benefit them. And so I think that it's really exciting that we're at a time now in HR tech where we're starting to identify that the career exists outside of just when you're at the job, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And I think what we're starting to see is relationships will transcend stints at companies, right? Like the idea of like boomeranging, I think, was foreign. And I think right now it's still too early where it's like highly emotional. It's like, oh, they laid me off. I'd never go back there. But I think you're going to start to see people leaving and coming back. And it's going to be sort of initiated in both directions. The person's going to be like, you know what? I'm ready to take six months off and like go tour around the world. And then I'll come back. I think companies are going to get better and better. And this is where companies like you guys come in as like onboarding and offboarding employees. It's going to be a much more dynamic thing. I don't think we'll get to the place of like sort of everyone's a gig worker, kind of like the movie industry. I don't think we'll get there. I think there's like a lot of other complexities that go into that and everyone being an LLC and all sorts of complexities that are like a a pure project-based economy. But I do think we will get better at a more fluid approach to employment. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And maybe we'll dig in a little bit later on in that because we also had that conversation with Dan is that there is a new definition, a new idea of like portability of your career, how you move around jobs, how you think about not totally gone, but maybe somewhat gone as the day of like work is family, right? (laughs) Like work is your career, work is your skill set. It's like, how do I move that around? How do I find different ways to plug into companies? And hopefully that will evolve with time as well on the kind of the admin and the company side, you know, and the people team side as well. Um, But I'd love to talk about that a little bit more. I mean, this is a world, it's, it's a it's a bittersweet thing for companies like ours and like your company, but we're we're in a world where there's so many layoffs. We're seeing it every day. And, and I know that your a lot of your content has been focused on supporting people in that journey. I always see you popping up in my LinkedIn feed, you know, helping people out and 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 reaching out and just because you care about it, because it makes sense. It's also your business, obviously, but because it makes sense, because people don't have those tools. I think back to one of the most like useful things that I got out of college. I went to Drexel. I did, you know, the whole co-op program. It was all about kind of entrepreneurship and working. And some of the most helpful and and best experience I got out of college was not like stats and, and economics. And yeah, that stuff was helpful. But we did a lot on like career development and interviewing and how to present yourself and how to figure out like where you should take your career and things like that. And I think that workers that are already out in their career in the world don't have that support. You know, they don't have there's content out there from a million different sources, but that support has not existed. And I think that's such a great way to kind of think about it with all that's been going on with tech layoffs, layoffs in general. What's the advice that you have for job seekers of like, OK, this just happened. Where do you go? And I know it's a generalized question, but how do you start to think about what's next? And, you know, the fact that they're now entering a market of a ton of other, if they're qualified, extremely qualified people as well, people that have, you know, it's an interesting event that, you know, sometimes you hear about 
one company is not doing well or had a down round or something like that. And in the past, that one company, but now you're hearing about Meta, Google, Instacart, DoorDash, all these companies with extremely qualified, extremely high level employees that are are coming out and now in this extremely competitive market. What's the advice? Like, where do you start and what do you focus on if you're jumping right back into kind of, you know, moving to the next stage in your career? Yeah. So one thing I want to say, like as a precursor to that is I think the days of passively managing your career are over. I think you're going to lose the ability to be like, I didn't know I was caught blindsided. It's like, that's not true. You can ask, right? Like you can go ask your boss, hey, who do we bank with? especially if you work in a startup. Like, yeah, I think we lived in a while where it's like, I don't need to know these things. It's like, well, then it's your fault. You know, you have the ability to get informed. And if the company won't give you the information, well, that's telling in and of itself, right? And so I just, I encourage people to take a more active role in managing their career because you just can't say like, oh, this happened to me, right? Who Who's on the company's cap table? Did they re-up in the last round? I think a lot of people just, it's like, oh, that stuff's complicated. It's, it's not that complicated. And I think it's, if you were going to deploy $150,000 into a company on a yearly basis for three years, you're talking half a million bucks, wouldn't you do a little bit of research? And that's basically what a person's going to earn. So like do the work, learn. This is an investment. You're investing with your time. If that logo ends up being successful, that's going to pay dividends forever. The people that were in Meta and the first hundred employees, like they basically can get a job anywhere, whenever, because that has value. So what I would say is like, first and foremost, start to take an active role. If it's like, if you just found out you got laid off and you got caught blindsided, sided, it's already kind of late. So that doesn't mean you always need to be on high alert and sort of living in a panic state that you're going to be next to get laid off. It's not about that. It's about taking control and just being proactive and deliberate about how you think about your career. So anyways, get off the soapbox. But now I would say if that does happen to you, the first thing I tell everyone is just like, take a beat. I think everyone feels like they need to immediately jump into action. And it's one of the times that you need to be super strategic. And a tactical example of that is like your announcement on LinkedIn, right? You only get to do that one time where it says like, hey, this happened to me. I would like help. And some people use it as like a cathartic moment or a way to kind of like vent. That's not the time to use that right? Like do that somewhere else, write it in draft and like text it to yourself or something, right? That is a very strategic communication. And you are now a marketer and you want to leverage that. So be mindful. And then the other thing I tell people is in that like beat that you're taking, be very specific about what you want. You know, I see when people like make that post, they'll be like, Hey, I'm open to anything. Well, you just put the onus entirely on me to think about all the things you possibly could do. And it's like, I just don't have the time and energy for that. But if someone says like, hey, I'm looking for a performance marketing position at a fintech firm, it's like, oh yeah, oh, yep. Uh, Michael Hirschfield, I know exactly he runs a crew. I know that business. I know exactly who I can make the intro to, right? So help people help you, you know, and then start to do the other things, do your planning. But I'd say like, take a beat and be super clear on the outcome you want and then start to take action. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think I think so much of it is that, is like that reactionary so many feelings flooded with feelings want to go into it. And I think it, it's interesting that we live in a world now where, where LinkedIn is so powerful for this, you know, but it's like, I, I think about how much energy goes around that first post and, and they give you, they give you the, the engagement for it too, which is great. Mm-hmm. Like they, they level it up and I see these posts and I see the outpouring of support for people too, which is really exciting. But I think that that's such a basic and smart 
way to think about it is like you have this one way to leverage something that's going to be really powerful for you to get what you want and do it the right way. I think that's great. I think it's interesting too that you said you're now a marketer because actually when I open LinkedIn and I see people posting about having been laid off, the the good and the effective posts that I see are coming from marketers because they're familiar with like messaging and how you're supposed to write these things. And then just making a sweeping generalization, the posts that tend to be more emotional and don't really have like a set outcome in them, they they don't really come from marketers. So maybe that's one small benefit that we... <laughs> <laughs> always looking for that that ROI. You, know? <laughs> you look at the comments also, right? The effective ones, you're seeing like links to job posts. You're seeing like, and the more that like, they're like here to support you, thinking of you, let me know if you need anything, right? Like the actionability, just made that up, of like the comments on each of those posts is very obvious. You know, when you see like a good quality, actionable post versus a, I just need to get this off my chest post, which I get it. I'm not trying to be like crass about it, you know, but you need to get tactical and like, and deliberate, right? Like, even though it's social media and all your friends are there and they're there to connect with you, you need to think about, you know, especially if you want to land that next job. If you're like, Hey, look, I, I've done a really good job saving, you know, and I don't need to work for another year. Then, okay, cool. You know, do what you need to do. But if you need to land another job, you know, be mindful about all of these like channels you have to, to make that happen as fast as possible. So aside from what you already mentioned, like not taking an active enough role in your career or messing up your LinkedIn posts, can you elaborate on kind of the top mistakes you see candidates making? Because the people that I feel really bad for in this market are the kind of like viral Gen Z millennial TikTokers who lost their first job right out of college and they didn't know, you know, that you need to keep your resume updated, that you need to save out your work, that you need to be strategic about your career. And, you know, they had like the super cushy first job with like an amazing salary and wonderful benefits and such a cool office and amazing work-life balance. And then they're just kind of immediately thrown into the deep end with no warning. Honestly, I do feel bad for them because it's a horrible situation to be in. But maybe speaking to them specifically, like what's the top mistake that you've been seeing those kind of candidates making in this climate where everyone's talking about the layoffs? Again, it's like not being clear on your positioning. The people that I see struggle the most, the people who are like, I've applied to 500 jobs and I've gotten no callbacks. It's usually like if you head over to their LinkedIn, it'll be like, oh, yeah, I don't know what you do. And like, I don't know what you want to do. They're like, oh yeah, HR professional, career coach, can also do an operations lead. And it's like, I don't know what you do. And like the unfortunate truth of how people hire, which is different than the reality of how we work, is that people hire square pegs for square holes, right? Like I've got, in my mind when I'm hiring, I've got a pain and I wanna address that pain and I wanna accelerate the reduction of that pain by hiring somebody that's got those skills. The truth is once you start, nothing's as specific as the pain you had in the moment and the person you hire is probably gonna fix it and then you're gonna need them to be a little bit more of a generalist. But very few people deliberately take action to hire generalists. They have very specific needs. And it's counterintuitive, but people are like, oh, I can do anything, I can be super helpful. I can make marketing copy. I know how to use Canva. I've done Premiere a couple times in my life. I could even edit videos for you if you need. And you're like, oh, you're okay at a lot of things. That's not what I want. 
I want someone who's awesome at one thing. And then once you get there, you prove that you're good at other things and you start to add your value. But people really get that wrong. Like you don't want to present yourself as a jack of all trades in the hiring process. You don't want your LinkedIn to show as a jack of all trades. Because like the mindset is, oh, I'm going to put a hundred things. And if one of them catches their attention, then they'll call me. Nobody does that. People want density. They want to see like 80% of the things are things that I want. The other thing people forget is that, sure, you might be awesome and that might be a cool skill, but someone else did the work to show the specificity. So it's not that like it's me relative to the JD in a vacuum, job description. It's me compared to the other people that applied. And so someone else is going to do that work. Someone else is going to look like the square peg to my square hole. And I'm going to talk to them. So you really need to do that work to present yourself as an expert in the market, even if that means you're junior, present what your passions are, present what you're interested in, but have it be specific. You just can't present as all over the place. To hone in on that just a little bit more, how do you narrow that down if you come from a smaller company or a startup background where your role is just, you know, more of a generalist just by nature? Well, go get five job descriptions that you're super excited about and look at the themes that recur. Wow, that's great advice. That's our soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're like, oh yeah, I can do social media, I can do paid marketing, I can do SEO. It's like, no, you can't. Like no one is like good at all those things. So be specific. And there are plenty of those jobs still available. So do the work, do the research, go and then present yourself as a person. Look at the language. So if you are excited in content, okay, look, content might be broad enough because marketing is a good example. Marketing super broad. Even within marketing, there are sub-generalists to say you're in performance marketing versus organic marketing versus social media, right? You could say, hey, I'm really good at Facebook pixel optimization. Like that's a job somewhere versus them like level that up. Okay, I'm good at Facebook ads. Okay, I'm good at social ads. Okay, I'm good at like ads, right? And you can kind of like tear it up. And so I think understanding like what resolution do I want to present my skill set and interests and how does that map to the companies I'm targeting, right? Obviously, the smaller the company, the more like they're going to have a bigger aperture for kind of generalization versus the bigger the company is going to get super, super specific. In that kind of on that topic of thinking about what's next and, you know, we've talked so much and, and when I say we, like especially us here at Hallware, but we've talked so much about how work has changed, like the logistics around working, working in a distributed team, showing up in an office, being remote. But at least from what we've seen in the conversations we've had, there's not a lot out there about, and, and you focus on this a lot, there's not a lot about out there about how that's changed job seeking, mm -hmm. the interview process, mm -hmm. the application process, you know, the onboarding process. So thinking about that, it's really different than, you know, what we've seen. Obviously, COVID, the pandemic accelerated that. How how has the distributed world like changed job hunting, but also the entire life cycle of the job, you know, seeking process of interviewing and doing all of that? What, what have you seen? Yeah. So I think it's one of like the biggest unspoken changes to the job market, right? There was an, a sort of a natural friction to job seeking, right? Like I believe that the majority of us are high integrity, moral people. So to be like, I got to take a doctor's appointment when you really didn't. Like the process almost like forced you to lie. And people don't like to lie. It was uncomfortable. Now, you know, like popping out for 30 minutes and just like putting a block on my calendar is very different than taking a half day morning and then awkwardly walking into the office well-dressed. There was these just like 
in these natural frictions that prevented people from job searching. It's like, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to, that's embarrassing. I'm like, that really like tests my loyalty. It feels icky. I don't want to do that. And I think that's mostly gone. So job interviewing is just much, much, much easier now on both sides. It's much easier for companies to interview way more candidates and it's much easier for candidates to take interviews. And so like passively job searching is like, yeah, sure, I'll apply to this job. That's pretty cool. Sure, like a 30-minute screener, no big deal. I'll just like squeeze that in between two meetings. And again, that's very different than like hopping in your car to go take an interview or taking the subway if you live in New York. It was just a much more involved process than it is today. And I think like the removal of that barrier, we've just seen it. You Like people change jobs much easier. You know, people are much more open to pursuing opportunities. And so I think that's been a huge shift in the job market. Yeah, we've, we've seen all, all sorts of and forms of that. People people taking multiple <laughs> W-2 jobs. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started on overemployment. <laughs> overemployment. And also, like, the flip side, like, the freedom to feel like you have more energy and time and ability that you're not wasting outside of the job search, like focusing on your own projects too, right? Or like maybe your side hustle, where like it's not all consuming. You can do it within a window because you have that more flexibility. Like you're saying, it's not a four hour round trip to do a job interview because you have to get dressed and you have to get there and then you have to get to the office, not feel awkward and all of that. In terms of like, you know, you talked about on the, on the people team side, it's made it more efficient. But at the same time, when you're meeting people through Zoom, you're, especially in a time like this, getting, I, I know when we open roles, we get hundreds and hundreds of applications. Anything you've seen or any advice you have about how to do, or, or even technology that you've seen, like how to do better in, in finding the right candidates? Because I feel like that is just still so much inefficiency on the, on the people team side, on the recruiting side. And I always, me personally feel like, am I missing the best possible candidate for this role? Because there's so much data out there. There's so it's, it's like relentless right now with people also not on the candidate side, just applying to every job they see, like you said, like, oh, I, I have five different specialties. I'm going to apply to five different titles at 20 different companies, 50 different companies. Yeah. So I'm like reluctant to answer this one because I don't want to pretend like I'm some expert hire. You know, <laughs> I've had my fair share of swings and misses, but I'll say like the, the common occurrence on the times when it didn't go well was when I was not very clear on what I was looking for. Right. I was like, I meet a person I'm like, they're great. They just seem awesome. Like, you know, we'll make it work. Like, we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll make it work. They're super sharp. <laughs> I think like I was not clear. So it's usually a me problem, not a person problem. Right. And I was not clear. So as an example, when we were first launching into our SEO efforts, I was just thinking of SEO really broadly. And I was like, oh, yeah, SEO is great. SEO, like all the affiliate companies are really good at SEO. I need to get someone that worked at like one of the big credit card aggregators or, or something because they're 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 the best. They're always like considered the best at SEO. Well, my big learning was like affiliate business models are very, very different than SaaS business models. And the way you write that content is very, very different. And the measures of success are very, very different. So ultimately, that was my fault. I was not clear on like what was right for us versus that person's skill set. And so I think, and things change ultimately. Like we were doing affiliate at the time, but then it changed for us. And so I also think like knowing where you are as a company and 
kind of, again, this goes back to like what you're looking for in specificity. I think I sort of talked about how most people want the square peg for the square hole. Knowing that that is our natural sort of bias and tendency, actually being aware of that, being like, wait a second, this is my pain at the moment. If I hire the person that's great, they're going to solve it. What are they going to work on next? Right? Like, or is this big enough that this is going to keep them, especially if you're a startup, right? Because you're going to move to the next thing. Okay, cool. We got SEO humming. Like now what's the next thing? Okay, now I got to run some ads. Like maybe someone who has a little bit of experience could just like dabble and test it. And then I could decide if I want to go deep into that channel. So I actually think, you know, they talk about the the T-shaped skill, like something you have depth in and things you have breath in. And so I think being very mindful about what you're looking for, envisioning like what success could look like. I really love this this concept of a pre-mortem, you know, so when I do reference calls now for people, I'm like, hey, if if, I, if it's 90 days and things aren't working out, like, why am I wanting to get rid of this person? You know, and so you then start to hear and people are forced to be like, well, you know, I could imagine like this could be kind of the thing that maybe goes wrong. And just being very, very clear on what you're looking for, what you need, sort of play it out a couple stages to be like, okay, this is what I could imagine happening and then go and try to find people and tailor an interview process that helps you discern that. I like the pre-mortem concept. I think that's the first time I've I've heard it. I did not invent it. It's like in an HBR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think putting it in that way, like I have used that and I have thought about that. And I've even posed that to candidates, too, is like especially at startups. Right. Like you said earlier. What if we solve this thing or what if we very quickly find out this is not the right thing to be solving and we have to move to the next thing? How are you going to adapt and evolve? And maybe you're not. What's the wrong setup for you? I like finding out what what almost like telling people, like, let's figure out if this is right for you in the first place, you know? So, yeah, the other thing I'd say is like more interviews are probably not better. You know, I think like what people define, it's like, well, we got to, you know, I remember this when we worked at the same place together, you know, it's like, there'd be like eight interviews. Oh, wait, have this person meet them. Oh yeah. And have this person meet them. I was like, that's, that's first of all, it's awful. And so I think this is another (laughs) really good thing about the times we're in is that candidates have choices and they're just not going to put up with that. And I love the sort of upward pressure on companies to do a better job with this because people have optionality, but just be mindful of what you need to know, put in a process that helps you figure that out and move on. Like if culture is important and come up with a really good culture interview, if like competence is important, come, you know, obviously all of them are important, but like come up with the right balance of what makes sense for you and for the candidate and your team. So you don't have like your staff in 20 hours of interviews a week, you know, cause work's got to get done. Especially at this, you know, the startup stage that the time and kind of inefficiency is such a big deal. And I think people miss that frequently of how much energy goes into this and media. I mean, even 30 minute interviews, which are almost not long enough. I like to, I, I think like 30, 45 minutes is a good, you know, based on where you're involved in the interview process, but it's still, you, you have to do four of those a week or five of those a week and or more, you know, you're a manager that's interviewing, like you're saying, it could take you 20 hours a week. Plus I think a lot of people miss that. So that's great. So I think the kind of theme that I'm seeing is that the era that we're in is making things a lot easier for job seekers, which is a good thing, obviously. But on that, I've been seeing you post a lot of content on like using ChatGPT to write cover letters, for example. So can you tell us more about your view on how you see technology like AI, for example, continuing to evolve how candidates find and apply to jobs. Um, What's your take on all of that? Well, one of the things I'm most excited about with a lot of this automation technology is finally 
like killing off these things that just weren't really used anyway, but they're just like vestiges of old times. It's like the cover letter, when you sort of stop and think about the word, was literally a letter that you put in front of your resume when you mailed it, <laughs> right? So I kind of like describe and, you know, so, but we still do it just because whatever, you know, it's like what, it was what we did before. It needs to go away. It Like the job applications have that information in them. So what I love is that like, the automation is almost like making it pointless now to the point that hopefully companies will just like, oh, right, we don't need that anymore because it's been automated. And so I'm excited to see more and more sort of things more broadly in our society that have, can now be done with technology, just not be needed anymore. You know, essays to get into places, that doesn't tell me anything. It's like, that's stupid, you know? And so I think it's gonna allow people to really focus on what matters versus this like busy work that's used as a way to filter people out. So I'm excited about that. It's gonna, I think it's going to be like a rocky 12 to 18 months as we sort of figure that out, but I'm excited to be on the other side of that. And I think that, look, there's a lot of things because job searching is so non-standard. There is no standard resume. There is no standard job title, right? At a company, you could be a community manager. You could be a social media manager. You could be a customer success manager, customer experience manager, and the JDs are probably like 90% the same. You know, so we just put out a piece of content the other day. It's like, hey, paste your resume into ChatGPT and have it tell you all the possible titles you could be qualified for, right? So now that's a way for you to position yourself and just tweak a few words because your skill set really covers like 80%, right? But you want to be mindful and strategic about how you position yourself because each company is like, hey, we're unique. This is, you know, we call it this for a reason, whatever. And it's never going to standardize because it's just too fragmented. So now technology is going to help the consumer, the individual actually customize themselves to this highly fragmented world. And I think that's gonna really extend people's ability to position themselves because they don't have personal marketing departments. They don't have, you know, surfer SEO for their career. They don't have HRS for their career, you know? Uh, and so I think technology is gonna really make that possible, which I think is really great. And I think it's gonna really extend people's ability to pursue opportunities that really align with what they wanna do. Because I think a lot of people also lack the language. You know, they don't know when it comes to careers until they see a thing, they don't know that's possible, right? I mean, just look look at how many people you know that like followed their parents' career path. And it's usually of all the people I've talked to from a lack of exposure of what you can do. They just didn't realize it was possible. And I think this technology is also gonna really help people realize what's possible. I'll put in like the things I'm excited about and like, hey, did you know that there's these 30 different careers you could look at? It's like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that was a thing. And you know, and so I think then that's going to help people find those jobs. There's very cool new companies popping up every single day. I think it's impossible for consumers to know that those exist, but I'm also excited to disrupt some of those business models, right? Like Teal, we don't post jobs on a lot of job boards because it's expensive. It's very expensive to post jobs. But so we post them on our site and some people find out about them. But why, if there, we thought about this from a consumer centric, why couldn't I just like get all those jobs sent to me? Like I want jobs, uh, I want companies that are fully remote, that are in the future of workspace. You know, so I wanna know when Allware posts a, a brand new job. And, but I go to LinkedIn and Allware's probably not paying the $10,000 a year for LinkedIn recruiter to have their job on LinkedIn. Oh, but I also happen to use Indeed so they didn't post it there. And so it becomes impossible. Uh, and so I'm excited about companies that are trying to do very cool things, getting more exposure to more candidates. Yeah, I, I, that, that fragmented kind of landscape of where you find jobs is so 
interesting and, and all the different job platforms that might not syndicate out to the indeeds or the linkedins it's like how do you find all that in one place how do you get that feed i think it's really interesting well they don't right i mean it's like it is the inverse of google's business model right right so like the way job boards work is they'll usually load up some free jobs to seed the market but then it inverts it's 80 percent paid content imagine if google was all ads and the person right. at the top was the person that paid the most and that's the business model for job boards yeah Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. We're working on it. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Little little tip there. So then, you know, on technology as well, like and and I know you're you're a nerd like me and you just love technology and different like facets and aspects of like how do you think tech like AI and I'm very excited about to see finally what Apple's doing with AR VR. It feels very imminent. Do you have any thoughts on how that's fundamentally going to change how people work? You know, we're always thinking about replacing or augmenting jobs or just your personal kind of thoughts and opinions on that, especially because AI, like I feel like a full time job now is like AI, like prompt writer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what I like is I think about it as like augmented intelligence. Right. And I think people are going to have to know like what to ask for. Right. It's funny. People joke. It's like Googling is a skill, but actually Googling well is a very powerful skill. I'm really good at Google. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I know Google search operators. Like, I'm good at Googling. And I think that, you know, going back to, like, what we do when we interview people, like, I have a whole 30-minute block in our interview process on, like, forcing people to ask questions. And so I think that those that know how to synthesize, those that know how to ask questions, those that know how to dissect problems versus those that jump to solutions too quickly are really going to excel in a world where the solutions are unknown and the, and the possible solutions are vast, that tooling and augmentation is going to sort of guide you towards solutions if you can sort of work towards you know, the, really the problem you're trying to achieve, right? So like right now, I don't know how to code. I want to put up a calculator on our website, like ChatGPT can code that up for me, right? And so, you know, I mean, we can get into like the ethics of mid-journey and things like that. But I just think it's going to expand literally human potential, which I think is incredibly exciting. Yeah. And honing into specifically how it'll help companies, how do you see that technology coming into play during the recruitment process? Because we talked about, you know, using it to write a cover letter for help with marketing yourself. But on the company side, how do you think it'll be helpful? Well, it'll be interesting that AI will finally actually be used for the hiring process. I feel like it's been one of these like rumors for the long time and like AI is like most ATSs are trash. They didn't have AI, you know, but they were sort of like, and I don't even think that the ATS companies did this marketing. I think it's like vendors who were like trying to sell like how to crack the ATS that actually created this narrative. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. It's like a reckoning right now. It's like, all, especially I think about like marketing platforms, right? And marketing technology that's been out for 10 years saying that it has AI. And it's like, what AI? We, we all knew it was never AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now people are getting a taste of like what real AI looks like. And so I think that there's some interesting things, you know, we're, I'm starting to build my own tools internally with like no code where I do have it parse resumes because we've got a resume parser for our tooling. And so I was like, oh, I'll use the same technology to parse all the applicants. I want to know the total years of experience. Not that that's what I'm going to base the hiring off of, but it's going to help me. 
I want to know the top skills that are in this resume. So I have resumes parsed. I send them over to GPT. It sends me back a summary and it helps me. I still manually look at every single resume, but it helps me, you know, prioritize which ones I'm going to look at first. And I think some of those things will become legit. I don't think, the, you know, for different positions, there's going to be different levels of scrutiny, but missing out on a good candidate is too high of a risk that I think AI will get to a place where it's like purely answering those decisions. But that said, look, like, like let's take SEO, for example, you guys are marketers, right? Like I know what I need to do to get to the top of Google. If I don't, that's like my fault for not understanding that stuff. And so the more I'd rather companies just say, hey, look, it's actually algorithmic. Like this is what matters in the JD. And if it's not in your resume, we're not going to talk to you. You know, and so I'm kind of excited about a more explicit world than an interpretive one where I'm like guessing, you know, like, you know, eventually I'll get to a place on our website where we'll just be like, hey, look, load your resume. We'll tell you if you're a match, right? It's like, you can, you know, our tool's going to do it. So why wouldn't I just embed that right on my hiring platform? As like, this is what I'm going to look at. So let's have you look at it too. Because I think that's one of the things people get wrong. Like people treat hiring, sorry to like sidestep a little bit, but people treat hiring as this like trick. It's like, I'm going to trick you. Everything's about like tricks. I'm going to just like pop some surprise questions on you and I'm going to see how you do. And then I'm not going to tell you anything about what I'm looking for. And I'm going to see if you submit the right resume. Like what part of real life is like that? For most things you get to prepare, you know, and so like actually go into this from a good place and set up the person for success. Then if they don't, then you're like crystal clear that they're not going to work out. Right. So as an example, one thing we do is we send the interview questions in advance for every interview. And people are just like, what about how are you going to check if they think on their feet? Well, I'm like, first of all, tell me about a time like in marketing, the person needs like, you know, like real time critical thinking on their feet that they don't at least get like 30 minutes to prepare for something, you know, so I don't know how much like <laughs> on their feet is like, you know, this isn't like Michigan, it's not like an EMT survey. <laughs> Have you ever looked at Stack Overflow before? <laughs> it's like every engineer sitting at their desk being like, how do I solve this problem that I'm working on right now? Yeah, it, and it's so funny, like people like, are like, oh my God. And I'm like, no, you want to know what's even funnier? It's like the people who didn't even look at the questions before the interview. I was like, you know, so another thing that sort of bugs me is just like this automatic assumption that of, of bad intent, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. you're seeing a lot, a lot of that with the AI stuff. It's like, well, everyone's going to just start faking their resume. I was like, they could have copied and pasted one before, you know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like not just because technology makes it easier doesn't mean that we all like universally became bad people. Yeah. How about all the company, all the startups that are just copying each other's job descriptions? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Right. That's Let's like, call them out. Ages. so, yeah. you know, I'm excited about almost like making things so easy that the quality will really start to rise to the top. Just a little bit more on that. And and I don't know, you know, you guys focus so much on the job seeker and the consumer. But again, it's that process will help find the right candidates and things like that. Are, are there any other ways that that's helping HR teams like internally, like people teams, if you know the inner workings of those teams and I know it's a hard place to be right now with what's happening in the world as those HR teams. We had a conversation on a previous episode about mental wellness of those teams and, and people teams often feel people roles feel very lonely. But anything else that you see of how this tech will internally, you know, especially with most people listening to this podcast will be HR leaders and HR managers and IT leaders and managers. Any other ideas on how improving the recruitment process will actually help those teams and not just the candidate? I'm admittedly one of the people that thought AI was going to sort of wipe out more like blue collar jobs. <laughs> and, you know, I think Sam Altman's sort of spoken to this. 
I did, but it's like, you know, going to systematically remove entire departments of companies that were white collar jobs. And so I think it's going to push us towards more a, let's call it like customer centric mindset because it's going to be less busy work, you know, which I think a lot of these things are busy work. They're procedural, they're process, they're, you know, a lot of cover your ass kind of stuff. And I think a lot of that's going to be able to be automated. And so I think it's going to be a higher emphasis on value. And so, you know, HR departments just might start to get measured on like employee retention, employee satisfaction. Now, HR department, unfortunately, has very little to do with that at the end of the day, right? They control benefits and things like that. Like a bad manager will sort of tank those scores no matter what HR does. But hopefully what it does is empowers them to empower the workforce so they can focus. Like a lot of HR professionals that I talk to get really bummed out that they're so like busy with all of this busy work stuff and don't actually get to do the things that they like to do, which is empower the company, do manager training, teach people how to have tough conversations, the L&D department, you know, have a, a really delightful recruiting experience with a great employee experience. And so hopefully it doesn't just become like a cost reduction thing, given the economic climate I feel like we're in and going into. But when we're on the other side of it and some of those things are automated and it becomes highly competitive for talent again, that people can use that sort of newfound time and resource to make the experience more employee centric. Yeah, I think that's we've talked to a lot of HR leaders, and I think that finding time to do the things that are most important, I think that augmentation of and fixing efficiency and processes that just are so inefficient right now. And I don't know that that necessarily means less jobs for, for HR people. I think it just means better run, more thoughtful departments and teams and processes and eliminating the things that are just a time suck. And also like very much built on like, think about how many candidates fall through the cracks because there's personal like opinion and different things injected in the the upfront top of funnel recruitment process, right? hundred percent. You know, scanning through applications and saying, oh, this person worked at this company, this person worked at that company. Yes, no, yes, no. And getting really down to like the hard data of like, what is the role? You know, who are we looking for? Who has the best experience? Yeah, I think of the version of that narrative where we're giving technology the benefit of the doubt, which you know, we've all seen Terminator, but <laughs> <laughs> is one that helps eliminate some of the human bias. Uh, because we just can't help it. As much as people don't want to be biased, we all have our biases, you know, and we're you know, unconscious. So I do think that if the things that we want to do and the things we say we do, if we do the technology, obviously it can have bias also, right? They sort of, GPT has its own biases given on what it's, what it's trained on. But I do think that the more we can remove humans from some of these processes, actually the more objective it can become. Yeah, we'll have to see. I know GPT-4 is now coming out or is out, out and today. they say it's all about yeah advanced more better reasoning we'll, we'll see what better reasoning means <laughs> who trained that who trained that reasoning what's it trained yeah. on exactly exactly cool well this is so great we always ask one question of all of our guests um and i want to know tell us a little bit about your favorite kind of work style how you personally work you know being founder and ceo of a company that that works in i, I think you guys are fully remote right and distributed. How do you like to work? And and then the, the follow on question for that is, what direction do you see work culture moving in the next one, five, 10 years? So I'll start with the second part first. I think autonomy, right? I think 
a lot of the reason you see people wanting to do gig work or entrepreneurship is really what they're after is autonomy, right? I had a lot of friends that went to architecture school with me and it's like, I want to start my own architecture firm. They don't want to start an architecture firm, right? Their belief of that is that they get to call the shots, they get to do what they want, but that's not true. They actually have to do billing and sales and marketing and all these things that they hate. And so I think autonomy is one of the big drivers. And I think that's kind of the the genie that's been let out of the bottle with in a post-COVID world is that the entire workforce got trusted with autonomy. And now you're seeing companies try to claw it back. And that's kind of the resistance. And it wasn't because they trusted them. It's because they had to. And so I want control of my time. I, if I need to go to the doctor's office, my kid's sick. I don't want to ask somebody if I can take them to the doctor. I just want to do that, right? The owners of the companies don't have to ask, but the employees do. I have X number of sick days. I got to ask. I want autonomy. I want to take vacation. I just want to take it. You know, yeah, I want to tell my team, I don't want to sell them out and like in a lurch, just like not show up to work on Tuesday. You know, I think there's like responsible things you should do as a good teammate and be like, hey, by the way, I'm going to be out, you know, but I want autonomy. And that's for me, that's the main thing that that's what I want in my work. You know, my work day is I get up, I make my kids lunch, I take them to school, I go to the gym, I usually have breakfast with my wife and I start working at 11. And then I'll work to like five or six, I go home and then I'll pop open the laptop again later in the evening, right? And I don't expect anyone else to do that. I wanna be able to work when I wanna work with whatever whatever sort of aligns with my life. And I don't want my teammates to feel pressured to do what I do. You know, I want them to work on what works for them. And this is also kind of one of my issues with some of these explicit things we're putting out there. The four day work week, the three day work week, like just let people do what they want. Right? The four-day work week is no different than the five-day week, work week. It's like parameters and specificity around like what you're supposed to do. Okay, fine. So you get a weekday off. It's like, if I want to work five five hours a day for seven days because that's better for my life, awesome. Do that. You know, if you want to work 40 hours over three days, do that. And that's kind of more where I come from and what I would maybe like hope to see the world going. I understand that we need policies because when you leave things too ambiguous, it just kind of makes it hard and open to a lot of interpretation. But if we can move to a world of like higher trust, higher autonomy, I think we can get a more productive workforce. Yeah, I like trust and autonomy. I like those two words. You know, I've always, even when we were full-time in office, some of the highest performing employees on my team were the ones that knew their best way of working. And that's, you know, I had a, I tell the story all the time. I had a team member who liked to come to the office at seven in the morning when it was silent and no one was there because people didn't start trickling in until nine, nine thirty. And she ate her lunch, didn't join everyone for lunch when, you know, it was a social thing. And she, because she wanted to leave at three or four every day and get stuff done. And like, she worked in, in that environment, which seemed like a weird schedule that other managers, I know my peers and even managers above me were like, this person can't work that way. And I was like, this is the highest performing person on the team. How are you going to tell them how they can or can't work? You know? So I, I love that. I think that like flexibility. And we talked this, about this before too, like entrepreneurs, like you mentioned your, your architect friends, becoming a freelancer, whatever it might be. So much of it is the stuff you don't think about, right? Like you might be an incredible writer or designer, but you're not a marketer. All of a sudden you're marketing yourself, you're selling yourself, you know? And so I feel like more people need to know that, but they need to be enabled by jobs that trust them. And I feel like that's so much of the conversation around back to the office is you're hearing, you know, there's not enough data. We're seeing a drop in productivity. I have never seen anyone show hard data that they're actual remote employees, that there's been a real drop in productivity. You know what I mean? It's this, it's this 
fabricated thing from these managers this managerial mindset of I need my people sitting at their desk for nine to five. Yeah, yeah I, I have a hard time believing some of those things. I think a lot of them are like there's a lot of confirmation bias. And like that's that's the narrative I want to push. I'd prefer if people just like I run this company. I like having people in the office. Awesome. That's your prerogative. That's totally cool. Don't like post rationalize some trash that like people are more efficient. It's, it's not your thing. You're not like, <laughs> you're not good at managing remote teams. You don't like it. That's totally fine. It's your company. Run it how you want. But don't make up because there's plenty of companies that are highly efficient, run very very well that are 100% remote. It's, at the end of the day, it's just, a, it's about a methodology and a fluency with the methodology. I think just to say like, th- th- we see this a lot, right? A confluence of like the tactic with the outcome. And it's like, oh yeah, we're just more productive in the office. It's like, that's not true. You can have shitty managers in the office and you can have shitty managers on a remote. Like they're both gonna be non-productive or you can have an amazing manager who's better at remote or you're gonna have an amazing manager who's better on site. You know, what I really want to see us do is focus on the outcomes and not the means. And I think that's a perfect example of like, oh, no, just in the office is better. And I'm just going to fabricate some number. It's like, just put up the numbers. Like, show me. How are you more productive? How are you measuring productivity? Like, I want to see the outcomes. Oh, revenue went up. Oh, revenue went down when we were remote. You know, I, I just show me the outcomes. Don't tell me about the the means. That's why I think this idea of like virtual world, like meta horizon, right? Like this idea of like being in a virtual world and come that was just like trying to force people back into a desk in an office with a headset on their head. And you're like, oh, they're sitting at home. And it's like, no, you're forcing me to like show up to work. And I always thought that was hilarious when they sent that that came out that leak that they like sent a memo to the whole team being like, no, you guys need to start their own employees and team members weren't using the product, you know, but I am really curious, like back to the idea of and sorry, I'm like, so hung up on this like Apple headset thing but i'm just so excited about it (laughs) is again i feel like that's it's more about the i'm hoping this is a total assumption but we've been talking about like technology augmenting the experience i think it's going to be that right it's about ar it's like giving me tools layered onto the real world not forcing me into this like virtual cartoon environment that is again basically the virtual version of an office or call it a prison if you want to (laughs) that thing's a cure without a disease Yes. It's just not a problem. It's not a real problem we have. Like we're talking, I don't know where you guys are, but it doesn't even matter. We're having a perfectly fine conversation. This is good. I don't need to see a sort of Nintendo Wii version of you to have a better conversation. (laughs) You know, like this is fine. I talk to my teammates on the phone the old way. I I don't need to see your face. I always say, I I love the phone. (laughs) You know, it's like we've developed this like allergy to just like picking up the phone and calling somebody. I get some of my best ideas, you know, when I'm pacing and I'm like out of breath talking to someone on the phone. You can't even do that sitting, you know, chained to your your chair on Zoom. 100%. Yeah, I think the way that I would phrase this is that um, just to tie it all together, people used to form their lives around how they were working. And now we're seeing that people want to form how they work around their lives. Like what you're describing about starting to work later in the day. That's something that I just feel like we would have been so allergic to five years ago or like what Ben described about his his team member that like coming in earlier. So yeah, it's funny that companies are rebelling against <laughs> against what people naturally want to do, but that's a conversation for another time. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for coming on the pod, Dave. And this is your chance to plug yourself if you'd like to tell us where people can find you and if they want to learn more about Teal and you and what you do. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. So we are very active on LinkedIn. I'm in slash David Fano or 
Teal underscore HQ is the company. Our website's tealhq.com. One day we'll buy teal.com. But uh, right now we're tealhq.com. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you're job searching or you're thinking about job searching, that's really what we're focused on. We're really there to sort of help people run an awesome job search and land a job they love. So yeah, hit us up if you need help with that. Who uh, who owns teal.com today? Is it just parked? It is parked. <laughs> it is very purchasable, but probably not the highest and best use of funds at the moment. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Our our domain name, we're allware.co and allware.com is strangely owned by Nokia. So I don't know how that's ever going <laughs> to happen. It just forwards to their homepage. So maybe one day we'll, we'll sort that one out. One day, one day. You get like a board member to make a phone call. Those, those things happen. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, well, thanks so much, Dave. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. Work Everywhere is presented by Allware, the work enablement solution that provides everything you need to work from anywhere. Companies from startups to enterprises save on time and cost by trusting Allware with employee provisioning, procurement, logistics, and asset management. Learn more at allware.co.